Welcome to Bet and Breakfast, a podcast from BetSided. Hey, does anybody want coffee? Who wants coffee? It's sports betting for everyone. I'm here to tell you today that the New York Yankees season is done. Stick a fork in them, it's over. Lamar Jackson, I can't believe he's that low on the list that he's my bet for sure at this point in the season. Early leans, best bets, props, parlays. If you can bet it, we've got it. I'm taking the over on this. If you look at the last five games, this is a game waiting for points to be scored. Tom Brady, I think everyone's heard of him. If Brady puts up the numbers, they have the 10th easiest schedule the rest of the way. Get in, get out, and you're ready to go. I think they're going to have to give him the award if Dallas ends up locking up this division and possibly even that number one seed. And here are your hosts, Ben Heisler, Ian McMillan, Peter Dewey, Donovan Smoot, and Reed Wallet. What comes before anything? What have we always said is the most important thing? Breakfast. Family. I thought you meant the things you need. What's good, everybody? Welcome to Bet and Breakfast on a Saturday, 11 o'clock a.m. on the East Coast. I'm Reed Wallach. Alongside me is my guy, Donovan Smoot. We got you covered. Weekend, everything. We have the French Open starting tomorrow. In the U.S., um, we have NBA playoffs. We're going to be breaking down last night's Warriors comeback win to go up 2-0 on the Dallas Mavericks. And looking ahead to tonight, uh, Heat-Celtics game three from the TD Garden in Boston. But let's start Donovan. Happy Saturday. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing doing fantastic, especially after we had a pretty good night um, in terms of like prop betting. From yeah. from bet slip, I think the only one that didn't hit was Kleber over seven and a half points. But outside of that, I think we had a pretty good night. So I'm I'm good. I'm wa- I'm waking up this morning feeling really good. Yeah, uh, the accounts a little bit, you know, some bigger numbers in there always nice. I did lose my first uh, bet slip baseball game of the year, so I am human. You know, it, it, I, it was a tough pill to swallow, but I guess that's why the Tigers are as bad as they are. That's why you just don't bet them there a bad baseball team. But yeah, I mean, I think even our like game handicap, we were talking about the over game was a shootout. I know Dallas didn't cover, but I think, you know, obviously a much more competitive game too. I mean, they were covering for 42 minutes of the game, 43 minutes of the game, and then they couldn't get a stop down the stretch. But I definitely think, you know, it pays to listen to Betslip. I think we gave a great handicap and, you know, looking ahead to, Game threes um, in the next two days. We're going to get to that probably in about 20 minutes or so. But I want to start here with Chase Center. It's not Oracle, but it, it it has its moments. But when the Warriors are cooking like they were um, down 19, um, they come back. They end up winning 126 to 117. Um, the Warriors are cooking. Steph gets going. Poole gets going. The whole team is you know pouring it on on this Dallas team who has no answers, but it just seems like they feed off the crowd. The crowd is like infectious that it just gets louder and louder with every step three with the pool threes. Now, like it really feels like it's into it. I have you ever seen a crowd like this, that, or I guess a team like this, that just feeds off this energy of their crowd. I, hmm, I, I don't know. I think, um, I think the warriors are very, very like, specific in that just because like the bay and oakland fans specifically across any sport like whether it's the a's formerly the the raiders and and the warriors like having having those oakland fans they are so so just like i've been to oracle right i went i went to oracle Mm -hmm. i went to oracle the last year that it was up and i went to like a regular season game i saw it was warriors Cavs. And Steph ended up dropping 40 that night and it was electric. It was awesome. And I'll say this, I don't, there's like two or three things that I, that I truly feel like rival anything in sports whenever, whenever Steph gets hot at home, because Steph is the last player that is, that I feel is like connected to a franchise and a community the way that he is. So like, They've seen his entire career. They've watched him grow up. He is, you know, the Bay. And so I think that even the Chase Center, as much as I can't stand it, um, they've done a really, really good job of trying to, you know, 
get that Oracle spirit going. Yeah. And I mean, it's hard not to, you know, go nuts when someone like Steph Curry is just in a, in a zone like that. Yeah. I mean, the Warriors have scored 41 points in the fourth quarter to, you know, complete that comeback, go up 2-0 on the Mavericks. And so we were discussing, you know, in our, you know, pre-production meeting, you know, just bumping, you know, bumping ideas around, just like the best atmospheres in sports because the Oracle crowd for sure, I think is up there for one of the best crowds ever because it's also the team. They're so electric. Like it's, it's hard not to fall in love with that team and go absolutely nuts. I know the Chase Center, it's a little bit different now. It's a new stadium, maybe a newer crowd, but you could see. That's a, that's a, that's a way to put it, a newer yeah, crowd. Yeah, but, you know, but it's it's not the same people filling the stands anymore. And that was, I think, a big complaint for the Warriors when they made the move over. Obviously, the pandemic had a factor to it. But even like Warriors fans I follow on Twitter, they they make fun of the Chase Center. They, they don't treat it like it's Oracle, you know, which that makes sense. But you could see the crowd really come alive last night, especially. And, you know, I tweeted a picture. Uh, Steph's new, like, almost like his, like, dagger celebration of the, like, go to go to sleep. Yeah. It's great. It's great stuff. But my favorite atmosphere I've been to, and I think it holds up, and it's funny because I'm not a huge soccer fan, but um, I've been to Barcelona before. When Messi was there, I, you know – have I went to a Barcelona? It was Barcelona Chelsea. I probably this is bad prep by me, but I want to pull it up. <laughs> man, that's that's nice. But I went to a Champions League. It was twenty eighteen. Yep, Barcelona Chelsea. I went um, at at Camp Nou Camp New with my dad. Actually, we were visiting Barcelona. And they were playing Chelsea in Champions League. And my dad doesn't know a lick about soccer, wouldn't know a thing. But we went and the crowd actually worships Messi. Obviously, he's not there anymore. He's with PSG. But at the time, like, literally, like, anytime he touched the ball, the place would go, like, nuts. And when he'd fall, you'd hear, like, screams as if, like, he was, like, shot. Like, it was crazy. And he scored three minutes into the game. Place was going nuts. They went 3 nothing. Um, in the first, I believe it was the first leg. Yeah. No, no, it was the second leg, actually. I take it back. It was 1-1 on aggregate, and they score in the third minute, and they're like, oh, this is over. So, yeah. But the crowd was so loud. The place was rocking. It's this old stadium, but it's also massive. It seats like over 100,000 people. Absolutely insane atmosphere. And obviously, you know, soccer is just different there. It's like, it's like, that's just all it is. And yeah. Um, so that was, in my opinion, the best atmosphere I've ever been in my entire life. And me and my dad didn't know a lick about anything. We were just watching. He scored 150 seconds into the game. We didn't even know what was going on. It was crazy. That's that's honestly some of like the best times is when you don't know anything mm-hmm. and you can just like walk into a place and kind of just like appreciate it for what it is. Exactly. Just, yeah. Like, like I was like naive to everything. I was like just going in like with like the naked eye and like this is just all it is to me. Yeah, and so, like, you you literally get the chance to just be there and, like, you know, experience it with everybody else and, like, live vicariously through everybody else who, like, lives and dies with it. So, like, that mm-hmm. that's super fun. So, I have two. I have two options. One, right, so, one I've never been – the one spot I've never been to, the other I have. So, the, so the one that I've never been to but just looks insane, I think that when the Steelers are at home okay. and it's rocking – and they are like they're waving the, the towels and everything. Yeah. And it just like feels loud. That feels like one of those atmospheres where I'm like, I like I need to be there. And they have a they I forget what the name of the song is, but they have a they have a song that they play at the start of the fourth yeah, quarter. Yeah, it's funny. I was just I probably you know you, you know you know what song I'm talking about. And after I, the actually, third quarter. Yeah, it's either like after the third quarter or like before a like like renegade a big drive. Yes, yeah, renegade. Right? And they'll go and play Renegade and the whole stadium is just rocking and the towels are going and like visually on TV it just looks so, so cool. So I think that the Steelers and Heinz Field, that whole thing is probably one of the best atmospheres in football. The other one that I've been to and listen, we can't not say it, you know, Madison Square Garden. Like that's just the clear one. It, I've I went as to, much as I hate it. It's true. It's because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the stakes are. It doesn't matter, like, 
what's going on, who's playing. If you walk from the moment you walk onto the sidewalk where the garden is, you feel you feel a history of every single event, every concert, every every you know speech, every game, any type of event that's ever happened in that venue, you feel it. And so, like, you listen. The the Knicks were five hundred and playing the Hawks in the playoffs last year, and you could have sworn that was the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, the inside the Barclays Center. Stop it! <laughs> Stop it! You, you get into Barclays for five bucks, and, st- and nobody, and still nobody goes. <laughs> I don't want to hear about that. <laughs> like the Madison Square Garden, it's the best venue in all of in all of basketball. Um, it's arguably one of the best in all of sports. And so that I would have that as like a top three, hands down three at the absolute worst in terms of like American sports, Madison Square Garden has to be right there. Yeah, and, no, I, I yeah. no gripes here as much as I hate the Knicks. I, I do completely agree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that, that Warriors comeback though, and the crowd getting into it, that uh, definitely made me think about like, what are the best crowds? I think you have to put, Maybe not the Chase Center, but this Warriors dynasty, whatever you want to call it, this the Steph Curry era, yeah. Warriors fandom, like they are a different level of fans. Well, and okay, please excuse this this rant that I'm about to go on because I go, truly, please. I truly, truly hate the the Chase Center. I think the Chase Center is a representation and a symbol of everything that is going wrong with with sports. It is the mark of just corporate America and corporate money coming into sports and making everything so, so top heavy. And like I was watching inside the NBA last night and they had the chef come out and he's making all the food for for the crew. And, and it's like all the food that you can get inside. And obviously this is like the food that you get, the sweets. We used to bring in out some steaks, some fancy pastries and stuff. And Ernie asked him like, Oh, how much is that steak going to run you? He's like, it's $175. Mm. If you are at a sporting event and you pay for a steak, and you pay for a nearly two hundred dollars steak, you are what's wrong with <laughs> everything. The 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 Chase Center they abandoned their they abandoned their fans in Oakland. They priced them out. They have this entire just setup that it just doesn't feel the same. They finally got the the t-shirts right. They finally put the the yellow t-shirts on the mm. um, on the seats rather, rather than the black ones that they were supporting for the first two rounds. The Warriors and the Chase Center is gentrification at its finest, and I hate it. It's awful, and I I wish yeah, so bad, in, man. That's I, big business for you. It's it's terrible. It's the worst thing. It's 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 one of like my biggest pet peeves about the NBA. It's it's just the, the Chase Center and all the stadiums that are about to be made that look just like it. Yeah, I mean that's just how that's how the world works. It's awful. Well, good thing we're a sports betting show, though. So let's get into it. Uh, 2022 French Open uh, gets started. Uh, what is it? Early, like in the middle of the night tomorrow. Yeah, like, like 3 a.m. 3 a.m. tomorrow in the U.S. And Dom, I know you've been, you know, keeping an eye on the clay court swing. I tennis is kind of my uh, secret like that's like kind of my favorite like the gen thing to bet on i do yeah i do love myself some tennis but um what do you think here obviously we're gonna start on the men's side we do have the odds courtesy of WinBet. so it's become based on the odds a four-man race for different reasons um four guys in the mix for four different reasons i would say djokovic enters as your favorite plus 160 carlos alcaraz the startup um the young phenom. Yeah, young phenom. Obviously beat Nadal and Djokovic at Madrid earlier this uh, – I believe earlier – yeah, earlier this month. He's plus 300 now. Uh, Rafael Nadal down to plus 425 as he battles injuries. But, of course, the most decorated clay court player. They have courts named after him at Roland Garros. So, obviously, anything is on the table with Rafa. And then on, you know, Stefano Tsitsipas – He's on the other side. Those three I just mentioned are all on the same side of the bracket. Stefano Tsitsipas has the easiest path to his second consecutive uh, French Open final. He's plus 450. Um, so, Diamond, what are your early thoughts on – and then after that it goes to guys who are 20 to 1 and such. So, those are the only four that I think are worth mentioning as contenders yeah. to win. Tsitsipas obviously has the um, easiest path, like I said, but – 
what are your early thoughts on the bracket and what you're seeing for this French Open? Well, so the first thing is, and you've seen it on both sides of the bracket, but so women and the odds odd makers have clearly said like, okay, this is like tier one. And there's not even, it doesn't feel like there's like a tier two of candidates. It feels like there's tier one and then tier three because the drop, right? Like you said, you said that it feels like it's these four. At, at, at 45, at plus 450, you have you have Alexander Zverev, who's still like a fantastic player. He's all the way at 28 to one, and he's the fifth highest player on the board. Yep. So I so right now, I think like, and and I'll, I feel this way more about the women's side, but there's a lot of value if you're trying to, if like, if you're trying to figure out like, okay, one of these guys might get upset with trying to figure out like who can be in the semifinals, who could be in the actual final and try to like sneak your way in. I think there's a lot of players that are live to be like a, a really, really good dark horse. I think that obviously, you know, the side with Djokovic and Alcaraz and Nadal, that side is going to be super, super fun because you have, you have all of these guys like Djokovic is, is the best in the world, but Alcaraz is, is coming up as as this young kid who can just be anybody and then obviously like you have Nadal who who like you said the most decorated clay court player ever so it's really just you know take it take your pick and even though that Djokovic is like that guy I honestly feel like the best two picks would probably be Alcaraz and, and Nadal just because they have a little bit more value and if we're talking about like you know Sitsipas even though they's coming in on the other side of the bracket to get to the final, yeah, most value out of out of anybody, but he still has to beat one of the other three guys. And I I refuse to believe that all three of them are gonna get upset. Like one of them is gonna be left standing. So, yeah. so I think I think that the winner comes from that top three. I agree. I don't think Sitsi Paz are gonna win. <laughs> I do think he gets to the final though. I, I think that to me, Clay is it's a real differentiator. It's you either have or you don't on clay. And Sitsipas is a very, he's a very, very, he's, I dare I say, great clay court player. It just sucks yeah. that there's three guys that are literally lights out the best ever to do it on clay. So I do think Sitsipas does get to the final. Um, I kind of lean towards uh, Djokovic. Um, okay. Not at this, not at these odds necessarily. I think it might be take your pick. I, if I had to pick a winner, though, I would take Novak. I think Rafa with the injuries, not someone to bet against um, on clay. But I got to do some more work on these injuries. I may want to wait and see how he looks because if he's not in peak form, it's tough to go on a run. Like if he's going to have early rounds where he's not winning in straights, you know, he's kind of building up. Because with these majors, you know, you're, you got to win, obviously, the extra set. If you're not rolling early and you have to take like you have to play four sets, you maybe have to go five sets. That's an extra two hours on the court a day that builds up as you make a run when you're going to run into a Novak Djokovic a little earlier than expected, you know, before the final or a Carlos Alcaraz before the final. So I think Nadal is definitely, you know, a concern. I'm not betting against him because, you know, he's Rafael Nadal. We just discussed that. I do think, though. He is going to go a little early this time around. I know his clay court record is, I believe, like 137 and four or something. I mean, at Roland Garros, which is just absurd. Yeah. Um, I do think if it's a slam, though, which it is, uh, Djokovic, I'm going to give him the up, the leg up against Alcaraz. Jo- I think Alcaraz is the truth. I think he's the real deal and he's going to be a superstar, but tough spot. You know, yeah. big, this is his, this is his first tournament where he's expected to win. And, I think that maybe that comes into play against a guy like Djokovic, who maybe hasn't had the best clay court swing. You know, he's been battling some things. You know, I know he was sick a little earlier in the season, but if he comes into form, I think he's going to be motivated and he's going to be able to knock out uh, Alcaraz in a five-set match. And I think he'll take that. I, if I were to predict the, it will be the same result as last year's French Open. Djokovic beats Sitsipas in the finals. Yeah, and that and that's very fair. The the thing that I would push back on it, and I listen, I don't obviously like Djokovic is never like a bad bet. Yeah. The the thing that I would say in favor of Akraz is the the idea that we have for for a Sitsipas to come on 
to come into the final on the other side of the bracket. Djokovic and Nadal are in the same quarter. And the, and Alcaraz, even though like Alcaraz is, he's still on the same side, but he's not in that same. Yeah, quarter. he would so, meet them in the semis, not the quarters. Yeah, so so like you're seeing them later. He might have a lighter path to get mm-hmm. there, and so he might be a little bit more rested than, than Djokovic. And you know, if let's say that that Nadal does come out and plays on clay the way that he always plays on clay, and him and Djokovic end up matching up, that was a thriller. That was a thriller that they had last year. Oh yeah, one of the best matches ever. Yeah, and so if, if that if that comes back, and Djokovic has to come in and play another guy like that in in Alcaraz in the semis, and then maybe play you know have like three straight thrillers, I don't know if he's going to be able to to hold up. But I feel like he can get caught in one of those, and so that oh. that's what that's what I'm saying. Like I think especially if we believe that all four of these guys are going to be there at the end in the final eight and the final four, then, then, you know, it kind of makes a little bit more sense to go a little bit further down the board. If you see what I'm so saying. What, so what's your best bet? I'll tee you up for that. I, I would take, I, I'll, I'll take Alcaraz. I'll take the, the young kid to come in and win this whole thing. Okay. I mean, that would be a wild rise to start up. I mean, I saw him obviously at the U.S. Open last year when he made when he burst onto the scene. I mean, the guy's electric. He's also like now just an ab- absolutely chiseled out of stone. Guy has a motor like I've never seen. So listen, I, you can't go wrong. I think it might be a year too early for him, but again, we're splitting hairs. I'm pumped yeah. though when we get into the later stages to um, see these guys go at it. I will ask you though before we go to the women's uh side, any early round one bets for tomorrow that you want to share? Um, you know, I know obviously some big lines, but anything you're seeing on the board early that jumps out to you. Yeah. Um so and I'll have a piece coming out on bedside later today about this, but I think early early on, if you still want to if you still want to bet like on the favorites, the key to doing it is doing it with you know, the exact set score or playing the over under on, on the games. Mm-hmm. That, that's going to be the only way that you can do it. Because if you look at like just the, the money line on it, these guys are, you know, minus 1000, minus 1100 in these opening round games. So to e- even to get them at, you know, straight sets, a lot, a lot of times you're still going to have like a pretty significant amount of juice. And so mm-hmm. the over under on the games is really where you're going to have to lean. So I think that like for Djokovic and, um, and Alcaraz, like I think that I'll probably be playing their unders, whatever, whatever that line is set at, I'll probably play the under and probably get something around like minus 120, minus 115 for, for the under on the opening round matches. Awesome stuff. And really quick, let's hit on the woman's side. Iga Swiatek comes in uh, like a freight train from hell. Uh, yeah. 28 straight matches, I believe it is now. She is a winner of. Obviously, Swiatek, she won the 2020 French. Uh, she's the odds-on favorite. This is, you know, you rarely see numbers like this. This is peak Rafa to win the French. This is Serena to win, you know, Wimbledon, the U.S. Open. You know, this is rare air for a young, young up-and-coming star. I wouldn't even say up-and-coming, just a bona fide star. Yeah. Halep is a second choice at plus um, six, seventy-five. Six seventy-five. Yeah. Plus six seventy-five at win bet. Is this is this Egos to lose? Obviously, by the odds would indicate that. Do you see any upset potential? Um, maybe a little bit, but like the the thing that I said earlier is you see clearly here, it's. It's three tiers. You have Iga in her own, and then Simona Halep, who's the only one that can like kind of challenge her right now, and then everybody else. The third person on on this board is at is at twenty five to one, right? That's that's absolutely insane. So I think that I think that you can maybe go down. I I wrote earlier this week about you know some some dark horse picks. Mm. Um, for the women's side, I think Arena uh, Sabalenka is is very um, she's very live to to make a run. I think that I think that anybody who's gonna win this is obviously going to have to go through through Iga, and I think that they'll probably have to beat her in the final. But this right here is absolutely insane to have her be the odds-on favor right now. Like Ashley Barty retired after the Australian Open because she knew Iga was coming. Yeah, and the, and there was kind of like this hole 
for for who's going to step up and be and be the number one player. And Iga just said, "Listen, I'm I'm calling my I'll own take, number. I'll take ball." Yeah, she's like, "I'm I'm calling my own number," and she's taking it and ran with it. So I think this is for sure hers to lose. But um, and if there was if there were to be an upset, it's going to be in the final. So we're just going to have to wait and see who's going to be you know at the end of the road with her in two weeks. Love it. Awesome yeah. stuff from Donovan on the French Open. And if you want some more, make sure you're going to bet side of Donovan's going to have a full, you know, day by day preview and some dark horse picks over on bet sided. Now we're going to switch. We're going to go back. We started with basketball. We're going back to basketball. We let off with it, but the Warriors go up 2 0 on the Dallas Mavericks. He raised a double digit second half deficit. Go up 2 0 in the Western Conference Finals. Dallas enters game three, favored by two. Um, similar setup, I think, to this uh, Phoenix ser- the Phoenix series from last round. Donovan, what are your takeaways from this game? I know we kind of touched on it earlier, but what are your thoughts? I guess let's go big picture. Um, are you are you done with Dallas? You think they're done? Well, I mean, yeah, I I didn't have Dallas in this series, so this mm-hmm. is kind of um, this is very very on par. I think that there's so there's three things, three big things that, that I took away from this. One, Dallas. It's like there's no chance that Dallas can can win this series because I thought that they would have a chance to at least make it interesting. I I had Golden State in six at the beginning of this. I honestly think that they might win in five because if you were going to win a game and you need a split in Golden State, game two is the game to get it. When oh you're yeah. Up, when you're when you're up nineteen and everything's rolling, and then you decide in the second half to just revert to everything that wasn't working in game one. That's just that's just you know, that's low basketball IQ from them. So that that's one. Two, um, Kavon Looney might win the first Magic Johnson. Uh, I think he's the favorite too. Conference finals award. He's he's been fantastic. He's been awesome. He had like, yeah, you know, he was he was great in game one playing defense on Luka. And then he goes out last night has a career high has as twenty and ten still. And again, Dallas tried to attack him at the start of the third quarter, and he was saying no, like you're just like this is a bad idea. But I'll let you guys keep trying to keep you know trying me like that. And he he held his ground. So that's two. Three, and what I think is the biggest thing, and it it, it gets lost because of the game that Kavan had. But last night was the best Steph Curry game that we've seen in about two and a half weeks. And Steph finally was efficient from three, and he looked comfortable running around. Like there was still there was a there was maybe two threes that I saw from him where they looked like forced shots. And one of them was at the end of the third quarter where um, he takes it, he tries to get a dagger to bring him within two, and the ball tips back out to Wiggins. Wiggins hits the three. That was one in the third, and then he had one in the first half. But And I said this on Best Up yesterday. If Steph Curry is Steph Curry, right, like if he's shooting 42 43% from three in these playoffs, the Warriors are unbeatable and they're going to win a championship. So seeing Steph be efficient at the free throw line and efficient from behind the arc at a Steph Curry type level, that was a really, really big deal for me. So those those are my three biggest takeaways from last night's game. Yeah, I think Dallas let Dallas let Golden State back in the game by a bad third quarter that included just going at Kevon Looney, I think. And we'll get into like if I think Dallas has a chance, but there are holes in this Warriors defense to exploit, whether it's Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, Klay Thompson. Klay Thompson's just not that good of a defender anymore, especially in a playoff setting. But they continue to go at Kevon Looney, and that got them into trouble because the three-point shot was going awry. I, I still think Dallas, it, they're going to take a lot of threes, and I've said this to you multiple times. I, they're playing the right game, yeah. right? It's They need to make the shots, though. So – by going at Kevon Looney, you are now not attacking someone like Steph Curry who's picked, who's in foul trouble. Someone like um, Jordan Poole who can't stay in front of anyone. He just doesn't have high defensive IQ. And Clay Thompson. I and Luka got onto Clay Thompson, went right by him twice in the first half. I just – that's obviously a gut punch. I still think Dallas can make this a series, though. I, I do. I, I really like Dallas in game three. I'm going to be on them in game three. I think they're going to get that one. And that's fair. I don't know if they can win this series. It's obviously an uphill battle, and they needed that game. 
try and take home court and make it 1-1. But I'm not going to count them out because while Golden State might be better than Phoenix and more dynamic than Phoenix, Dallas knows how to rally in these spots. And if they're going to get a home court boost in three-point shooting, why can't they go back to the Chase Center 2-2? In which case then, again, it's is it going to happen? Probably not. But I still think there's a chance because, again, they are playing the correct math. They're, they're playing the math style of it correctly. And we saw it in the first half. They built a huge lead because the Warriors were sloppy with the ball, which they tend to do. And the Mavericks were finding holes in the Warriors' defense. It's when they revert back to, you know, we're going to stay in this. We're going to stick around, have the ball stick, and not find Luke and have him be aggressive to hunt mismatches. We're going to go at Kevon Looney. Then that's when they run into issues. I, 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 think Dallas, I think Dallas is – they're competitive in this series. Like, I, I don't know if we're seeing Golden State. Like, I think that second half was a little bit more I'd attribute to tired legs from the prior series of Game 7. I think Game 2, the score at least, is more indicative of what the series is. I think it is a competitive series, if that makes sense. Maybe not in – like, the the record might not – the even if the Warriors won in five, like you said, I don't know if they're going to, like – just blow them out the gym. You know what I'm saying? I think okay, that's that's fair. Here's what here's what I think is going to happen for the rest of the series now. I okay. think Dallas, I, I'm with you. I think Dallas I'm gets game up three. numbers on my phone while you're okay. talking. I think Dallas, I think I think you're right. I think Dallas gets game three. Um, however, I think that Golden State gets game four and five and they wrap it up at, at the crib. And that's that's how we you go. Think I think game five would be a blowout. I think the like closeout the game. And they throw in the towel. Yes, I think the closeout game is a blowout. I think game four, they end up just using that championship grit to do it. Because even in the Memphis series, that Memphis series should have been a five-game series. It, it, sh- it should have been five games, but they should went. Have? Yeah. I'd argue it almost should have been a seven-game series. There's no way. They, they looked terrible those last three games. They, and they only won game one. They – Listen, that that what should, that should have won. They should they should never have been blown out by fifty. They should have went oh, to. I mean, you're saying they should have won the game. They lost by my, they my, lost by thirty five. You can't like my, give them that my if I'm talking about pregame expectations and oh like yeah, they went, well they were favored. And to no, but like even even like aside aside from that, they were favored in every in every game that that series, right? Mm. They um, I'm saying. The Warriors and the way that they should have should have come out. It was no job for the second game. I under I understand the the Grizzlies coming out in that series and playing with a lot of fire in that first game without job because listen, like that's what they've done the entire series, the entire season. They were twenty and five without Morant. Listen, cool, that's your steez. You guys know how to handle yourselves. But game five, game five, even even though the game five was in Memphis, the one it should have been it. Clearly, should have been more more competitive. There's no reason for um, for the Warriors to have gone down by 50, and that was just like insanely hot shooting. But I think that that game, that series, should should have went five. Dallas, in this situation, they were able to they were able to capitalize on Chris Paul having two horrendous games in three and four. Now, whether or not that's because of the defense or Chris Paul just isn't up to the task in these situations or he was actually hurt with the quad injury, whatever you want to say. I think that one of those games in this, in this series will be won by the Warriors. I think that Steph Curry is much better than Chris Paul. I think Jordan Poole finally woke up last night and that's going to be a big, big deal. Um, The only question that I have is, Oh, like, is Draymond Green going to be able to stay on the floor? Because and not even not even from a from a personal foul standpoint, from a technical foul he, standpoint, he should have been ejected last night. Like I I think it's ridiculous yeah. what he gets away with on the court. Like I obviously like I have the Mavs to win the West and stuff. First of all, he was terrible, so like I almost wish he stayed in the game. But like I don't get like how about that technical foul Finney Smith got where Draymond oh, yeah. supported that? Like what are we doing? Like. I, I don't like – I understand you don't want to throw someone out of the game and stuff, and I completely get At you a certain point, you have to, though. You can't just let the guy run around yelling and stomping his feet like a kid. Like, it's not it's not fair to the other team. It's just straight up not fair. Because you can't have him just yelling 
incessantly. Like at a point, you gotta be like, listen, like one more and you're done. Even like they were saying on the broadcast, like Steve Kerr's like, just play the game, man. Like it's like yeah. annoying. If I had to uh, guess, he gets th- he gets thrown out in game three when the Mavs I, go up like 15 again. Like he'll just get tossed. Yeah, I, I think. You know, like, also, he was like a minus. He was like a minus. I don't know what he ended up in the game, but when the Warriors came he back, was he was minus, minus 34. Seven, he was a minus seven, minus 17. They were down by two. Let me. Let me but see. I will say, on on the Warriors, I think they're just an unserious basketball team. To be honest, with the turnovers and the sloppiness, I just. They they go on runs and they run hot and cold, but like I don't know, I I just don't see them as this juggernaut team that they're being made out to be. And just back to me defending Dallas, at least from a, a scoreboard perspective, it does look very very similar to the Phoenix series where Golden State shot lights out from the field. They shot fifty six percent again from the field. That comes on the heels of a if I could pull it up fast enough on my phone. Um, that's the wrong game. Also, also to, to your points, so Draymond was minus 19 last night. So he's still a minus in the fourth quarter. And they and they went up, and that's when they blew it open. Wait, really quick, just so we can keep moving to Boston. Yes. Golden State shot 56% from the field in both games. But Dallas has done a very good job of limiting their three-point shots, of Golden State's three-point shots. They have made – they've taken less than 30 in both. Dallas has taken over 40 in both. So, they, again, they're playing the math correct. They're forcing them inside – it's how do they stop them getting from scoring inside? That's where the real key is, where I think Dallas, if they could figure out how to defend them and maybe get some regression on the road, I think that with a three-point bump, you know, if they could sustain from three, I think that they're able to uh, taking both these games and making it 2-2 going back to uh, Chase Center. I, almost I would say this. You can't – Dallas is not capable of doing both. If you are going to run, if you are going to run Golden State, you think, but you think Golden State shoot fifty six percent from the field again? That's a great. That's what Phoenix did in the first games, and then they pulled if, off. If every if every shot that they take is at the rim, then yes, I think if, if that's they, where they have to figure it out. Yes, but I, I think still, if, I still think schematically though they're doing the correct thing. They, off, they off, are, off, offensively, off, offensively yes, but defensively, if you are going to run them off the line and if you are going to trap Steph on every single pick and roll. Then, then you are playing. Then you are playing four on three defensively and letting them get whatever yeah. in the paint. They had sixty-two points in the paint. If you are playing, if you're playing four on three below below the free throw line, it's a yeah. wrap. Especially when Draymond well, has got the ball. So many just like dump, like just pitch. Exactly, exactly. Especially when, when Draymond has the ball in the in the short row. So I that's, know another big stat from last night. Yes, they're plus this, thirteen on the glass. That's like you know you're trying to yeah, win. Yeah. You gotta you gotta minimize their you know extra chances you know so i do agree i still think dallas has a chance to make a competitive five game series donovan thinks five let's move on (laughs) uh celtics heat tonight from boston celtics of course go absolutely thermonuclear from three in miami they even the series at one one celtics overwhelming favorites to advance to the finals donovan thoughts on this game We'll start with just this game, and then we'll close with what we think for the series. But do you think that this series is a wrap? Do you think that Boston goes up 2-1 here? Obviously, big favorites. This is, you know, looking at compared to the Milwaukee series, Boston was around a five, five-and-a-half point favorite in the Milwaukee series at home, now out to six-and-a-half against Miami. What's your look for this game? I don't know what to believe anymore. I agree. I, I'm just I'm, I have no, no idea. I'm so, I'm so lost in this series, and I've been lost on Boston for the last two-and-a-half weeks because – Every single one of their wins, something like historic has happened. And it seems like, and I keep saying it, but it seems like a Nexus event. Like in game two, they shoot 65% from three in the first half. In game four against the Bucks, Al Horford has a playoff career high and has like 16 in the fourth. In game six, Jason Tatum probably plays the best game that he's ever played and scores 46 points and is hitting nothing but net. And then in game seven is the Grant Williams legacy game where he hit seven of 18 threes. And then you have last night where everybody comes out and Jalen Brown starts the game four for four from three. Al Horford doesn't miss a shot. Jason Tatum, once again, is like insanely shooting. And they and as a team, they shoot over 50 percent from three. I have no idea what to make of the Boston Celtics because I don't know if this is who they are now or if they just keep being inconsistent and we're just going to keep banking on them having these insane highs and insanely low lows. So I'm, I'm honestly lost and frustrated and defeated at trying to handicap this entire series. 
I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, I was kind of a believer that these games were going to be rock fights and very, very low scoring, like first to 100 wins. It just hasn't been that. It's been a three-point parade and, you know, up-tempo, a lot of transition opportunities. I kind of want to look towards the prop market. I do think Boston, you know, I liked Miami in game one. I ended up betting Miami in game two because I just thought the line was a little egregious, but I still like Boston in the series. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but I, I do think Boston is the better team. I just, I don't want to kind of go near side in this, I guess, total. I still kind of lean under, but just no real interest. Um, like we said, if Boston's going to shoot, you know, 50 plus percent from three, then Miami can't do anything. It's, it's, it, Miami can't keep up. They don't have the shooting. Um, I do think if Miami's able to figure out the defense, I do think Jimmy Butler is game to keep up with this Boston defense. And listen, if you could, if Miami could figure out the perimeter, which I don't think is out of the question. If Boston takes a step back, I know they're going home, but if Boston takes a little bit step back from three, I think Miami is kind of game to hang here. Two things to keep an eye on. Um, Bam Adebayo, what are you going to, I think he needs to take a step up on offense. It can't just be Jimmy Butler, Max Schuess, bomb threes. I don't even think it's Tyler Harrow. I think Bam Adebayo needs to be a bigger factor. I think he has to push closer to 20 points for Miami to have a chance in this one. Also, P.J. Tucker, um, it was an ankle injury in game one, and now I believe it was a knee injury, a knee confusion, I believe they're calling it. It seems like he's going to play, but guy's 37 years old. Uh, Is that going to start to wear and tear? You know, Miami's starting to run out of available bodies, especially with Kyle Lowry. He's going to be out again, I believe. If so, how effective is he going to be? Duncan Robinson, I don't think, could be relied upon. You know, where are you getting the seven, eight guys to keep up with this Boston defense that has the size to, you know, really cause a lot of issues? We know that best defense in basketball. So I I, I guess if I had to lean on this one, I would lean towards the under again. Just I think that the, these uh, Boston has to come back to earth from three. It's funny you say that we thought that the series was going to be first to a hundred wins. It's from the way that these first two two uh, you're just not missing. On, like it, it, it's, it's first to sixty. The, the first two games have been have been raced to sixty, and whoever, yeah, whoever, but whoever like, can get there and blow the other one out first is these is teams. They're just absolutely going off from three. It's not again. It's not even open threes. It's step back threes. It's you know batted balls, catch fire. It's crazy. I, yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I'm. I agree with you that I think Adebayo has to. He has to take jumpers. He has to take because if you're just gonna let Robert Williams stand in the paint all night and just be a pogo stick and block everything and and allow him to dominate on on the glass, you're not gonna have a chance. You need to you need to pull him away from the basket a little bit, and then maybe you can have a chance to rebound over Horford. Or have or like over smart, maybe get some like over the back calls or something like that. But Adebayo has to be has to be much better. He's disappeared. He's been his line today is at 13 and a half. He's missed that for four straight games. I like him to go over that, honestly. I listen, I, I hope I hope he I hope he does because I'm I'm pulling for the heat in this series. I thought that they were gonna win in, in six prior to, to the series. So I hope that he can step up and and maybe Miami can steal home court advantage back. But this Boston defense is just so good. They're yeah. everywhere. So as we are looking, I just took a quick scroll through Twitter. Uh, Spolstra says Tucker and Lowry both will warm up with the intent to play tonight. That's kind of how the Heat have been phrasing it this entire postseason. So it does seem like Lowry's going to play. Okay. Now the question is for Lowry, is he going to be able to shoot because his offense has not been there basically like all season? Like obviously he's gonna he looked awful in the Philly series. He ended up basically not he just wasn't healthy. He wasn't healthy enough to play. He looked terrible. Yeah, but Gabe Vincent has done a very solid job. He's he's been very serviceable. He's hit he's hit a, a couple shots. If Lowry comes in tonight, he's gonna have to at least shoot as well as Gabe Vincent. I think defensively he'll he might be able to help on, on Marcus Smart a, a little bit. And you can you can put Lowry on Smart there and then have Butler and Tucker handle Brown and Tatum and do that. And then you won't have to like, you know, sep- you won't have to uh spread I- yourself too thin. 
But I don't know I, what I'm the expectation sure. is for Larry. He just looks so bad in that Philly series. I'm going to go in with very low expectations. Yeah. But listen, those are the things that swing a series. Like if you could get, first of all, one, Kyle Larry, who I was a hater on way back when before, you know, he rightfully got his ring and all that. So I've, you know, I've, I've admitted my wrongs on Kyle Larry. But listen, if the guy could give you just a lift, like give like one game, you know, that's what you need. You got to get yeah. one of these boss. You got to get, you got to try and get it. You got to try and extend the series. Larry could give some sort of championship effort. And, you know, I don't want to get all narrative and cliche, but if he could really just unload on one game and give up, that's the difference. Maybe, you know, that these are the things that turn a series. So I'm definitely interested to see what we get out of Larry. There's also a chance he just looks awful. So <laughs> I'll tell you this. The only thing that I can count on tonight is Kyle Lowry will take one charge tonight. Okay. So, <laughs> he would, he would take so that's your new best bet, but what is your original best bet <laughs> as we get, you know, I know we're not looking side and total in this one, but I know we each are on a prop. You're on Miami. I'm on Boston. So let's hear what's your best bet. I'm going with the only thing that I can trust for Miami right now. <laughs> and that's Jimmy Butler over 26 and a half points, minus 115. Jimmy's the only one, him and Max Struess, but in terms of like creating offense and being the driving force, Jimmy's the only one that I know that I can, that I can bank on. Because even last game when they're down by 30, he still scores 29. If if Tyler Hero isn't going to be a factor offensively in terms of creating his own shot, if Bam Adebayo is going to look scared to play offense, then the Heat's only way to stay competitive on that side of the ball is with Butler driving the offense. And so he's yep. going to have he's going to have to take all of the shots. And there were a couple times early, and I think Van Gundy said it as well, where Butler made the mistake because he was looking to pass and he was making moves in order to pass and set up other guys instead of to score. He's going to have to, he's going to have the ball in his hands. He's going to take a whole bunch of shots and he scored, he scored 41 and 29 in two games. So yeah. this line is at 26 and a half. Jason Tatum is at 27 and a half. Butler You're not going back there. I'm, I may, I may for Tatum, but, but the point that I have in bringing up Tatum is Butler's line should be exactly the same as Tatum's every single game if not more like they are that they are that close together in terms of scoring output and scoring necessity for for the well as you know butler's scoring is much more needed yeah uh, on miami than tatum so i think that this line is actually like low-key a discount um for for like a point and so i'm taking jimmy butler i'm I'm right with him i'm putting you on the spot because i'm also trying to do it in my head but how many points do you think miami needs to win needs to win this game just throw out, like again, this is like a completely like we're just arbitrary numbers, but like throw out a ballpark. hundred and seven. Like 105, 110. 107. 107. Okay, how do they get there? They they get they get there by Jimmy Butler having 30. They Bam get having there. 20. Well, it de- it depends if Lowry's playing, but I would I would say 17 or 18 from Bam and Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero having 18. I, no, I don't. And probably Shrews has to get like 15 also. Yes. Yes. Now, look, I don't know. I don't know whether Tyler comes from, um, comes. I don't know if his points come from the three-point line or if he's getting points in transition. Another thing that they're going to have to figure out is, and I, I don't want them to play this way in terms of like playing four foul calls. They have to get to the free throw line. Yeah. You, ha- you have to, you have to get points. You have to get points when the when the clock is stopped, and then be able to take set a step back, defense. set your defense, and not play this like up and transition down opportunities have been a big difference in this game, especially because half court offense hasn't been the easiest. Obviously, Boston, if they're just going to shoot lights out from three, that changes everything. But half court offense has not been easy to come by, and I'm not a proponent of like relying on three point shooting too much. You know what I mean? Like hoisting yeah. 53s. I don't know. Obviously, if you're Dallas, that's your mo. But for a team like Boston. I just I'm afraid that the the faucet could get turned out. But yeah, speaking of Boston, last last wait, last last point. I'm sorry, and then, and I'll let you get to this. Um, so Miami, uh, I saw from from Nikaj Duncan. So Miami's half court offensive rating in game one was 105, which is like uh, I think it's above the league average. In game two, they dropped all the way down to to 85 or 86. Right, yeah. is a, a huge deal. So that's what I'm saying. Like the free throws have to be a part of that in order to get that that side of the offense going. Well, I do think in the half court, Miami is going to struggle either way. It's going to be a slog. They're, they're going to need, like you said, find answers at the free throw line, maybe a little mm-hmm. boost from three, maybe a Kyle Lowry boost. But that leads me to my best bet. Uh, Jalen Brown over six and a half rebounds. It's plus money. 
I, I really like this one. Just a few numbers on Brown. Um, looking at NBA.com's player tracking data, and I know Al Horford didn't play in game one, but he had 50, he had 12 rebounds in game one on 15 rebound chances. Okay, so that's, that, that's great. Great. In game two, when Al Horford and Marcus Smart both played, he still had eight rebounds on 12 rebound chances. To me, it's more about the chances than the actual rebounds. Because that, that means he's around the ball. He's crashing the glass. First career in the postseason, 6.2 rebounds. Um, he obviously didn't play last season when the Nets took him out in five. In the year before that, I know it was the bubble, but I still think it holds up in this case. Um, 7.5 rebounds that postseason. This season, 6.9 rebounds. I just think at plus money, the odds are in his favor to go over this number. He typically clears it. He's cleared it twice in this series. I like Brown over six and rebounds, especially with that plus money. If we're saying, I think it's more likely than not he goes over versus, you know, you're getting a plus money. So I like Jalen Brown over, especially if you think this game might be more of a slog and a half for more rebound chances. Yeah. And dude, we talked about it yesterday, how, just how, just how fun rebounding props are. And yeah. How that's they, why I looked they, at it. Yeah. And that, you know, they're so, they're so random, they're so random to, to, uh, to bet on, but I, I like that, especially the plus money aspect of it. Yep, and that's going to be our show. Bed and Breakfast on a Saturday. Gave out a ton of stuff. French Open preview, NBA postseason look. I still think Dallas has a fighting shot. Donovan thinks they're done in five. We both agreed that we have no idea how this Boston-Miami series is going to go. I get We both kind of guess Boston. They're going to shoot like this. Player props, everything. You want to go back and check that out. But for daily bets, that's a good segue into daily bet slip. Monday to Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern. Make sure you're checking it out on our YouTube page right here where you're watching it. Also, Wednesdays, we got Jab Cross Hook with myself, Ian McMillan, and Amy Kaplan. And also, if you're on our YouTube page, make sure you're liking and subscribing right below us. And check out, we I spoke with Malika Andrews yesterday, get her thoughts on the NBA playoffs and the draft lottery and the NBA draft upcoming. So a bunch of stuff on our YouTube page, a bunch of stuff on our website, um, betsided.com, our Twitter page at betsided. We're everywhere. Make sure you're checking that stuff out. Donovan, best of luck on your bets, and I'll talk to you later. See you. See you, man.